Hello everyone, welcome to Saturday Football Fanatics. My name is Sebastian Diaz. I'm going to be the host of this podcast. To be completely transparent with everyone, this is going to be the first episode of this new podcast. I started another podcast called Bleeding Blue and Orange, uh, where I talk about the Knicks. And I am just starting this podcast, so I have a space where I can share my thoughts and my opinions for college football I mean, just like many of us out there, I'm sure listening to this right now, we're college football fanatics and we love to have a space and have a group of friends that we could talk college football with and just, you know, share that excitement and that love for college football that we all have. And I I wanted a platform where I can share that. I just, you know, always talking about basketball and the Knicks. I, I love college football equally as much and I wanted to just have somewhere where I could get that off my chest to share my love, share my opinion, share my thoughts. And anyone that's interested and wanted to listen to it, they're more than welcome to. If you're not interested, you know, no one's obligated to listen to any personalities, any podcasts out there. It's just whatever people are interested. There's enough entertainment and media out there for everybody out there. And I just want to create this space for myself and just, you know, have a space where I can talk college ball with anyone who wants to listen to me. And yeah, you know, I'm getting new to this, so not everything is going to be perfect. There's going to be some things that, you know, some background noises. I have my dog here. You're going to hear some, you know, some growling, some barking maybe here and there in some episodes. But um, yeah, I'm working on this and hopefully this is something people enjoy and I can continue. So it's kind of get, get things started with some college ball. Enough talk about me. Um First topic of the day, which is a very popular topic in the media and in college football in general, is the Final Four, basically, the college football playoffs, what the committee decided to do. And it's, um, first off, I want to start by saying it's so unfortunate that the 12-team playoff starts next year and not this year. I mean, ideally, an 18 playoff would have been perfect this year, considering how, like, in my opinion, there's six to seven teams this year that could have won the championship. Um, you know, it, it, it's, I think we move, we're moving past this whole belief that in college football, you have to be perfect because, um, with this current format that we have with the 14 playoff, it basically means that Every team that wins it every year has to be near perfect. They can't have one bad day. They have to go undefeated in order to have a guaranteed spot in the playoffs. If they get one loss, there's no guarantee they can even make the playoffs. And this year, we saw that that guarantee undefeated season was not a guarantee anymore in this format. And I think there's um, a lot of factors of why the committee went with this decision to include Florida State or to not include Florida State in the college football playoffs. And it, it's a lot to really talk about. So I'm going to try to be as, you know, not as long as I want to talk about this, but also try to keep it short and sweet. Um, first thing I want to really just mention is that um, knowing that next year is a different format and that, you know, the committee, uh, this committee might not even stick around for that much longer. I mean, that's something I'll go into later, but um, knowing the next year's 12-team uh, p- 
playoff format is coming in and that the college football fans have to kind of get used to something different in college football that we've been seeing with this 14 playoff format. Um, it kind of changes now the narrative you have to be perfect. You know, it's now it's fit, it's fitting the narrative that we're going to see the best product on the field. And, you know, we just have to go with what the four best teams are. That's what the committee said they were going to do when they started this format was to pick the four best team. And that's why there's a committee to decide that. And um, anyone, you know, it, it's really not that hard to say that Alabama was in a, one of the four best teams after the conference championship week because they took down Georgia, which, you know, undefeated. Everyone everyone knows the story. Everyone knows the narrative. I'm not going to sound like a broken record. Undefeated two years in a row. They were number one throughout the whole year, blah, blah, blah. And Alabama beat them in the conference championship, and they were in control in almost an entire game. It was a close game. You know, it wasn't a blowout, but Alabama was in control of that game. And it, it's hard to say that, a team that was able to pull that off in the SEC championship game is not better than a Florida State team that went undefeated, yes, but are you know are playing their backup quarterback who almost even had to start their third string quarterback in the conference championship game, and you know their Florida State's defense one of the best in the country without a doubt in my mind, but at the same time their offense just isn't isn't the same without Jordan Travis. Everybody knows that, and. You know, it, it sucks because we couldn't reward them for having a, an amazing season going undefeated and without your starting quarterback to still win that conference championship and and keep that zero in that loss record this year. Um, it, it sucks we couldn't reward them because of the stupid four-team playoff format that we had. But, I mean, with what this format was said to be and what we were led to believe that it will give us the four best products out there and put it in the playoff format to face each other. I mean, how can you say they didn't get it right with Alabama, Michigan, Washington, and Texas? Um, Like I was mentioning earlier, I think there's seven teams this year, um, maybe even eight. Um, I need to run them, run down through them in a sec, but um those seven teams uh, that can win a championship this year, they can, these seven teams can match up against each other. And I think it, you know, it's going to be a different outcome um, depending on the matchup. Uh, You you know, if college football is is one day, you know, you got one day, it's just like, it's just like the NFL. That's what makes football so amazing. You have to be great this one day. You can't have an off day and like, okay, this is a five game series. It's best out three or whatever. No, you gotta be perfect to say show up. So that means any, anybody can really just have one bad day, especially when you're in the college um, field where a bunch of college students, there's a lot of things going on in classes or outside in social lives. And these college students can have bad days and it makes, you know, for a lot of like Cinderella stories, upsets that could happen. And, um, I I think the teams that had a chance to win the championship this year were obviously the four that made the playoffs, which is Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. Then we got Georgia, which I would say had had a chance to win it this year for sure. Anyone that knows college football knows they had a chance to be um, three P champions this year. Ohio State, um, I I you know Ohio State. There's a lot of flaws in that team this year, which I, I think the biggest flaw is the quarterback play. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of really what I saw. I didn't watch a lot of games, but, you know, I, I just didn't see 
and enough playmaking from that quarterback position to elevate them against the top teams like Michigan, which we know what that's what happened. But still, Ohio State had a phenomenal game against Notre Dame earlier in the year, and that that game was just it's amazing defense from both ends. I didn't think Ohio State had defense like that, and when I saw that game, I'm like, yeah, this team could win a championship. Um, and then after Ohio, this, this is no particular order where I would rank them to so say teams that come up to my head. Um, but next up, I would say would be Oregon. Um, I'll see I'm, I'm, I'm an Oregon alum, so I'm going to be very biased in this podcast when it comes to Oregon, but I think Oregon just had too many games this year where they were just blowing out teams and the Pac-12 was easily the best conference in college football this year. The, it, it, anyone that says otherwise are just lying to themselves or it's just not watching college football. I mean, I, I'm sure the true college football fanatics out there that love, love this sport know that the Pac-12 was easily the best conference. And if you don't agree, you know at least they're they're up there for one of the best conferences this year. To say they weren't is ridiculous and just isn't worth a conversation to have. But, you know, Oregon dominated in this Pac-12 uh, conference, and they did struggle against Washington. That's why Washington in and Oregon is out, obviously. But still, I think Oregon um, was a, a top-tier program, and Washington was better than them this, this year. That's why they're in. But if Oregon you know, didn't have to face Washington, whatever, blah, 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 Washington did exist, I think Oregon could have been in this format. I could have had a chance of winning the championship this year just because of the explosive offense. They have playmakers on defense. They have a lead play at the quarterback position, as we know now. Know they had one of the, you know the top three elite play in the quarterback position based on the Heisman finalists, and yeah, I, I think they had a chance to win it all this year as well. And then, of course, Florida State. I mean, even without if, if they had Jordan Travis, Florida State had a phenomenal chance of making or of winning the championship, and they would have made the the football the college football playoffs without a doubt in any of our minds. But even without Jordan Travis, I thought that defense was super elite. They could have competed and could have won a game. I would have picked them to um, win over, let's say, a Michigan or a Washington or a Texas just because of, you know, quarterback position. And that is the most important position in football. And if you don't have your starter, it's hard to pick you to win it. But that defense was so elite and just so top tier this year. I, I, I thought they had a chance to win it even without Jordan Travis this year. And it's unfortunate that, that that none of these teams were are given the opportunity to show what they could have done just because of this limited four-team playoff format. But next year, this conversation wouldn't happen. Um, it's going to be a different conversation, you know, like the 13 teams that got left out. But I, I don't think that's as serious a conversation as this year just because of the whole aspect of a team being undefeated and getting left out for the first time in college football history. Um and yeah, it, it really sucks, but I, I don't I, I don't believe this nonsense nonsense of a narrative that people are saying that oh that the media and college football needed Alabama because it's a bigger draw, it's a better product to be on the field and it, it drives better numbers and Florida State got screwed over. Like it, it is without that Florida State Florida State got screwed over. Everyone knows that. It, you know, it, it's it's not like they got screwed over for a biased opinion. They got screwed over for a bad format, for a, a format that should have never been in place. Then thank God that 
that this format is gone next year, and we're going to this much needed twelve of uh, team player form or twelve team format, and um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but if you ask me, I just think with the you know that championship games is how they were dominant and how Florida State wasn't really dominant against Louisville and they kind of struggled against Florida and even against Miami they got a little scared at the end and Miami is not a they're okay to good program this year they they were a bit overhyped and overrated and you know and Miami and Mario Cristobal don't make really good decisions in the fourth quarter and in the fourth quarter they kind of were making a slow comeback against Florida State and you know, if you're looking at the committee, it's like, all right, this is our last, you know, shebang at this 14 playoff format. And we want to kind of plead our case that we should, this committee should still be around that with this new format coming in and how college football is changing with these super conferences happening. And now that, you know, they don't lose their jobs in this committee and they, that college football doesn't come together. Be like, all right, we need a new committee or we need multiple committees now. So they kind of want to like, make a decision that would have the least resistance, which is a common thing that many of us have been hearing in the media. But yeah, I mean, it's really not a bad decision. It's, I think it's probably the right decision to make because, you know, if any of us out there besides Florida State or Alabama fans um, had to put money on the Alabama versus Florida State bowl game right now today, I guarantee you 95% of us are pitch, are picking Alabama to win that game. And, you know, that, that, that kind of just figure, that just does it right there. You know, Alabama is probably the better team, probably the better program. We will never know uh, because they were never given the chance to go against each other. But it, it's just kind of what our eye test, what the stats and what the numbers say. And, yeah, that's the pick they had to go with. And Alabama makes it. Florida State, unfortunately, has to face Georgia. Uh, in a bowl game and they're looking outside the, the college football playoff this year, but it sucks, but you know, that's just how it is. And we just have to at least be grateful. We have four great teams in the playoffs this year and we're going to get great matchups nonetheless. Um, but yeah, that's just my quick thoughts on that. Not really quick thoughts, but those are my thoughts on that. Uh, I don't want, I'm not going to talk about the matchups yet for the college football playoffs as there's plenty of times and the bowl games are happening before that. So that'll be a topic for another day. But let's kind of go over to the Heisman conversation now. Um, the Heisman finalists were announced and this Saturday the ceremony will be held and we're going to be, you know, hearing the who's going to be this year's Heisman. Uh, the finalists are Marvin Harrison Jr., Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix. Um, so it's going to be completely transparent. I'm going to be very biased um, on this one. Or I wouldn't say very biased, but I definitely have, you know, some swayed opinions on this being an Oregon alum. But um, I still think that Bo Nix honestly should be the Heisman. Um, it's hard for me to think otherwise because I watch every single Oregon game and I didn't get to watch every single Washington or every single LSU or every single Ohio State game. Um, so obviously I've seen more tape from Bo Nix compared to the others, but based on if we're just doing based on tape, obviously Jaden Daniels wins. The numbers there, he has more highlights out there. Um, 
And, you know, he, he looks like the better player based off the tape. But I feel like for this Heisman Award, there's a lot more than just the tape um, that needs to be told in order to give out the award. And other, you know, other things that should come into mind when awarding these players is, uh, you know, strength of schedule, um, the, the, uh, your, your record for the year, um, how, how much of the game are you actually playing? Like, what's the final score? How many minutes of, of the game did you actually play that day? And yeah, and just kind of other factors as well, but kind of going to what I just said there. For me, Marvin Harrison Jr., the talent, amazing. He should be a Heisman finalist. No one's doubting the talent, but it's hard. Like, I, it does, no one believes he's going to win it just because he's a wide receiver, and this is a you know an award basically for quarterback, just like the NFL MVP is. And Marvin Harrison Jr.'s stats weren't revolutionary. Um, Troy Franklin of Oregon had similar stats. Um, Washington receiver, I forgot his name from the top of my head, but he also has similar stats in Marvin Harrison as well. So, you know, he's deserving of the finalists, but it, it, he's probably not going to win the award. Everyone knows that just because his stats, if you're, you're, or if you're someone who's not in a quarterback position, who's a finalist for the Heisman, you have to have basically record-breaking stats in order to win the Heisman that year. If you don't, you're most likely not winning it. And Marvin Harrison doesn't. And it's not to take away from the amazing season he has or the amazing player that he is. It that's why they're they, we that's why college football announced the finalists because it is basically an award of itself to be a finalist for the Heisman, and he should be congratulated for that. But I don't think he's going to win it. So going on to the next player, Michael Penix. Michael Penix halfway through the year, up until that Oregon game, and after that Oregon game um, at Washington, he would have won the Heisman. He was a favorite. By far, he should have won it. He was deservedly so. But after that Oregon game, Washington took a big dip down. And that's why a lot of people picked Oregon to win, including myself, in that Pac-12 championship game. Because Washington just didn't look the same. It looked like they... Like, to me, Washington plays down to the level of competition and they play up to the level of competition. They can't, I don't see a team that plays their level, like their standard of play that they want on the field. They play to the level of the competition. And that's like, you know, it's how can you really argue otherwise? The Arizona State game is just baffling to me that it doesn't get enough attention that Washington didn't score an offensive touchdown against one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 this year. Um, you know, Arizona State had Washington sweating at Washington at the at the Huskies Stadium, and Michael Penix and the offense couldn't score an offensive touchdown. They won the game on a pick six, basically, and it, it's just. It's it's crazy and kind of ridiculous to think that a high powering offense in college football with a Heisman finalist couldn't score an offensive touchdown against one of the worst teams in the Pac twelve. And yeah, that's basically what happened. And that's not the one of the you know few times that Washington struggled against poor teams. They struggled against um well, I wouldn't say poor team, but they struggled against Washington State at the end of the year. Washington State isn't a poor team, but they also aren't, you know, a you know, a top fifteen team this year as well. And, you know, there was a lot of one possession games that Washington had. And it's just to me, Michael Penix, 
was able to show up at the end of the game to make those needed those necessary plays to win those games, but he still had struggles throughout the games. And I just don't know how he could be a, a Heisman winner when you got other two guys who just were completely dominant in a lot of other games in Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix. So going to what two the two Vegas odds favorites are, the top two are Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix. Um, like I said, Jaden Daniels on paper and by the tape, watching the tape, he's the Heisman. He's he's the favorite to win it. He should be. But you can't take away how bad LSU played this year. And, you know, it's not an award. I know it's not an award for the team. It's a player award. But at the same time, quarterback is the most important position of the team. And your team's record is kind of, you know, uh, uh, it does reflect – the level of play and the leadership you have from that quarterback position and LSU just, you know, there was a lot of games LSU already lost and they they put Jaden Daniels out there in the fourth quarter and he was just getting numbers in garbage time. And that's something that can't go unnoticed when it comes to this award. Like he put up numbers in games that they were out and the opposing team was just putting like just out there, just waiting for the game to end. They put up numbers in garbage time and, that's like, how can we not take that into account when coming to this award? And on the other hand, you have Bo Nix, who anyone that's watched Oregon football games this year, which I like, I, I watched, I'm in Oregon football Twitter. I'm in Oregon football. Like, you know, I, I keep up with the media around Oregon's uh, program. And I know there's a lot of fans out there that just like to talk, but haven't really watched Oregon games. And they, you know, no one really notices that Bo Nix barely played in the fourth quarter in any of the games this year uh, for Oregon. There was a lot of games where they were just blowing out teams that Bo Nix would just sit in the fourth and they're putting Ty Thompson to finish the game because they didn't want to get Bo Nix hurt. And it, it and now, you know, it, it sucks because now at the end of the year, we have someone like Jaden Daniels who was put in those positions to keep pat stat, stat padding and put, putting up better stats and Bo Nix who... They were using him to to protect them instead. You know, they were they those games were won already, and they're like, we don't need you out there anymore, and we're gonna, you know, um, we're gonna punish Bo Nix for that decision for his team playing so well and him leading his team to dominant wins and not being able to play in the fourth quarter, so he doesn't have enough time on the field to stat pad as much as Jaden Daniels does. I I don't see how that that's a fair punishment and. I'm not saying Bo Nix is a clear favorite. I just don't think the Vegas odds are a right um, measurement for how close this race should be between Daniels and Bo Nix. To me, it's kind of like a flip of a coin. Like, you know, it's a 50-50 chance who should win it. You can't go wrong with either or. But to say that Jaden Daniels is like clear on favorite is just crazy to me with those those, um, two things I just said about... Bo Nix not playing and Jaden Daniels stat padding. Um, stat padding is not a bad thing. I'm not taking a shot, Jaden Daniels. I'm just saying what it is and saying what it is with Bo Nix. And yeah, I mean, I, I just think it should be a lot more of a closer comp uh, or more of a closer uh, voting than what the Vegas odds and what the media are saying. I just don't think people watched enough college football games this year. And um, there's not a lot, like, college football have a lot of fake fake media people out there and 
a lot of fake fans out there that don't watch enough games. I mean, I don't even watch enough games, but still, I, I'm just saying what's on my mind and my opinions. I'm acknowledging that I may be wrong. I may be right. I don't know. And that's the beauty of the sport that, you know, we all have opinions and it's no one's really wrong or right <laughs> with our opinions. We just have opinions. And, um, yeah, I just don't think there's like people should watch enough games in the Pac-12 because of the whole West Coast stuff. And I don't think people realize that Bo Nix barely played in the fourth quarter. And almost, I would say, probably 60% of the games he didn't play in the fourth quarter. And, yeah, it, it's just, I don't know how that's going unnoticed and how no one's talking about that when coming when it's coming to Saturday when we're going to get our Heisman Award uh, announced. And, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And I feel like with, you know, the conference, the super conferences happening with, you know, Pac-12 blowing up and now the Big Ten becoming this huge super conference, SEC come, getting more teams, ACC getting more teams, and now this whole West Coast um, not getting enough views because, you know, it being so different from the East Coast, the time zone difference, the late games, the East Coast isn't staying up to watch those games, and now we're getting these conferences where we're getting bigger matchups. I don't think we're going to get the same you know, I think college football is going to change. People are going to watch college football now because of these bigger matchups in the regular season. And it's not going to be a lot of people that just don't watch enough games on, on other teams in the West Coast. West Coast been going unnoticed for the past five years in college football because no one watches the Pac-12. And they this year they finally realized, oh, crap, the Pac-12 is actually good. We just never really noticed it until this year. And, yeah, like, it, it, Pac-12 hasn't been, like, uh, on – on the paper, on paper, they haven't been this good in the past few years, but the talent has been there. And anyone who's been watching Pac-12 know that this was happening, that these programs were building up to to be this great as they were this year. And, yeah, that's kind of just, just my thoughts. Started rambling off a little bit there. Um, and, yep, now this final topic, I want to go a little bit longer into it, but... To not make this episode too long today, I'm going to kind of keep it short and talk more about it later on after the probably once players start making the decision where they're transferring. But, you know, the transfer portal. Um, I want to talk about mainly the quarterbacks. I know this, there's about, I think, a record-breaking 1,100 players that entered the transfer portal this year, which is crazy and kind of cool to see for college football. And now... Um, we're in the off season, and for a lot of other sports like NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, all those fans out there, they they love the off season. Off season is the best part of those se- of those teams and those fans to see what moves that teams are going to make, and it gets them excited for the next year. And now in college football, we kind of had that same feeling with this transfer portal this year. Um, there's some changes I think they should make, but I'll save that for I'll share those thoughts for a later episode. But to talk about the quarterbacks that are in the transfer portal this year that I personally have watched the tape on and know a lot about, or I wouldn't say know a lot about, but I watched the tape and I, I have strong opinions about their play is um, Dylan Gabriel, DJ Uwe Unganale, and um, Dante Moore. I, I really like those three players a lot. There's Cam Ward, who everyone's saying is the best uh, quarterback at the uh, quarterback position at the transfer portal this year. And I I watched Cam Ward in Washington State. I watched a few games. I didn't watch enough to, you know, kind of agree or disagree if he is the best quarterback. So I'm kind of 
not really going to comment whether he is or not. I'm just saying I didn't watch enough and I don't have enough of an opinion to make, to share my thoughts on that. But I'm going to just talk about those three guys, Dylan Gabriel, DJU, and um, Dante Moore. I really like those three guys in this portal. There's also Riley Leonard as well, who's in the portal. But my, obviously, like the, for me, the number one guy a lot of teams should go after is Dylan Gabriel because of the experience and because of the great year he had this year. Um, I see a playmaker. I see a guy who's confident and who's confident in himself to all the ball to make different plays to to run to use his legs to get that first down to use his legs in in the end of the game to make those big plays that you know teams need in big games, just like he did for Oklahoma against Texas this year. He outplayed Quinn Ewers, it, without a doubt. That was the difference between that those teams that day, that Dylan Gabriel outperformed Quinn Ewers, that those teams were perfectly matched. They're both great teams. They're both great programs this year. And we know now that Texas is the better team um, than Oklahoma. But that day, Dylan Gabriel outperformed Quinn Ewers, and Dylan Gabriel showed to a lot of people that he is that guy. He is capable of being a playmaker to make those those plays from that quarterback position to be like, yep, he's different. He stands out from the crowd, and he, he deserves to have a shot in the NFL for, for a team as a backup or even as a starter if they want to go that far. But he has he has talent. He has crazy decision making. He's quick. He's confident. I like his demeanor. To me, it looks like he does he does have leadership skills. You know, those that Oklahoma team did rally behind him in that um in that uh win against Texas and even a lot of games earlier in this year, Oklahoma was destroying teams earlier in the year. They were putting up like insane offensive numbers. And, you know, they took a dip in the second half of the year. It is what it is, but I saw enough tape from Dylan Gabriel, and based on the highlights I saw from him, he's a quick decision maker. He's confident. I saw a lot. His um, his IQ, I would say, is similar to Bo Nix, where he understands his system so much that he's like, I know what play I need to make and who I need to go to right away. He's like, my first decision that I come up with, I know it's going to be the right decision, and I'm not going to make mistakes. And that's what made Bo Nick so great this year was his leadership and his confidence and his understanding of the system that he was in. And I think Dylan Gabriel is very similar in that. But on top of that, he has more arm talent and he can move with his legs a, a little bit more shiftier than a Bo Nix can. And I, I really like Dylan Gabriel. I like, yeah, he's going to be entering what his sixth year in college football now next year, or maybe even the seventh. I'm not even sure, but he, he's, you know, He's a veteran. He's a veteran for sure. But uh, yeah, he's someone I think a lot of teams should go after. I uh, everyone's talking, saying that he's going to Oregon. That's that's the favorite to land him. I would absolutely love that. I for some reason, for some reason, these Polynesian, these this Hawaiian players love going to Oregon, and I just think Dylan Gabriel fits this system and this program so perfectly, and he. He can really elevate his like you know his draft stock going to Oregon. We saw what Oregon did for Bo Nix. Bo Nix in his first year in Auburn, he was projected to be a first round pick when he was eligible to go to the draft. And then once his um you know once he transferred to Oregon, if he never transferred to Oregon and he went to the draft when he was eligible, he probably would have been like a fourth fifth round pick. The you know his draft stock went down, 
And now um, uh, it's very unpredictable right now to tell with these guys what the draft stocks are going to be because college football is changing now where, you know, these guys are going to be older. The guys are staying in college longer now because of NIL. So, you know, this whole narrative, like, yeah, we want the younger quarterback because we have, they have better potential. It's going to change that with college, with uh, NFL, with their draft stock and the draft position, because, um, you know, college football fans are going to, uh, they're going to stay, they're going to stay, they're going to stay in college more. And yeah, Bone Nix, there were some draft, some mock drafts having going the first round, some having go top 10. I think it's kind of ridiculous that he goes top 10. I don't think it's a top 10 pick, but, um, Let's just say he's a second to third round pick now, Bill Nix, you know, and that's much better than the fourth, fifth round that he projected when, if he gone when he was first eligible. And that, you know, that's a big difference. That's, you know, a second round pick has a chance to, uh, you know, start sooner. Uh, they had make more money. It's just, you know, Oregon was able to provide that for him to give him a better future in the NFL and I sh- I'm sure someone like Dylan Gabriel, who's coming back to college to improve his draft stock, would love that same thing to happen to him that um, happened to Bo Nix. And that's why it, it feels like a match made in heaven with Dylan Gabriel in Oregon. Um, and then, you know, on to the next two guys I said, DJ Uwe Ungunale. Um He... Um, He's a very he uh he was a five star uh recruit coming out of college. He uh was also, you know, had Oregon as one of his final teams. So it will also be kind of uh another uh lovely ending if he comes to Oregon after all. And he um he was projected when he was in Clemson, everyone thought he was gonna take over. Clemson had Deshaun Watson of you know all-time great college football quarterback and being he ended up being a great NFL quarterback. Now, today, you know, everyone knows what happened to him, so no need to rediscuss that. But they went from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence, who, in my opinion, Trevor Lawrence was one of the best college football quarterbacks we've ever seen. I would put him in my top 10. Um, he was great for Clemson. They barely ever lost with Trevor Lawrence. And they and then, you know, fans are like, we got another five-star recruit. So when Trevor Lawrence is gone, we got this DJU guy who's going to come in and he's going to be our next great guy. And we're going to keep winning and keep this dominance. And DJU ended up not being that for Clemson. I think Clemson expected so much more from DJU. And, you know, DJU is just a guy who he, he's got great talent. He's got, he's got good decision-making. He's got the high IQ. He just doesn't have that revolutionary talent that these other quarterbacks have but that's fine he doesn't need to have that talent in the right program the right scheme he can be a great quarterback for a a, for a program that can make the 12 team playoff next year oregon state was was honestly it's just a few plays away from even being in consideration for the playoffs as well this year they almost beat washington they were in a very tight game against washington and they, they beat Washington, you know, they could have had more confidence going against Oregon and they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. And, you know, there was other games that, you know, they were a two-team loss or they were a two-loss team going to that um, Oregon game already. So they were not going to, you know, make uh, the playoffs on that. But um, other games earlier in the year that they that they lost, uh, they I forgot against who from the top of my head. I think they lost against Utah, I believe, or... Washington State, one of those two teams. I can't really remember, but 
you know, DJU played great for Oregon State, and Oregon State didn't need him to be Trevor Lawrence or a you know, uh, let's say a Baker Mayfield, a Johnny Manziel, you know, these amazing college quarterbacks. They didn't need him to be that. They just needed him to be DJU, which was a high IQ player, control the offense, make good decisions. He didn't need to be quick. He had enough time in the pocket, and he had he had enough arm strength and off, enough arm talent to make those those big-time plays at the end of the games, and he did that for Oregon State. And I think he could do that for a very good program. And any program that you know has the right um, scheme, has the right weapons and pieces around that quarterback position, can bring in DJU and have a shot at the playoffs next year. And he should be a high commodity player. I think he's kind of going under the radar. I know he's not what many of us expected him to be coming out of high school, but he's a great quarterback in college football, and I'm excited to see where he lands. And the next one is Dante Moore. Dante Moore is the more of a project one I see. This year, he was a true freshman. He started for UCLA. He struggled very badly uh, this year. He was benched at some uncertain games for the backup quarterback, and then they brought him back in as a starter. But um, he he just looked like he didn't. He wasn't confident in himself this year. That's what I saw from the tape. He's just you know he, the O line kind of collapsed on him a few times. He didn't really know where he needed to go with the plays. It just seemed like he couldn't understand what Chip Kelly's like. Um, I can't think of the word right now. But what Chip Kelly like like scheme was what what his philosophy was for the offense, and he couldn't really you know buy into it. That's what I saw from the tape. He just it seemed like he didn't fit with Chip Kelly. And that's totally fine. And maybe Dante Moore is more like a DJU guy. Maybe he just needs, you know, he he, he these expectations that he's going to be this great talent. It's just because he was a five-star recruit. It's just where it ruins him. And they ask more of him where he really just needs to be Dante Moore and needs to get a program that fits his style of play. And we don't know his style of play yet because, you know, he did Chip Kelly's style of a play and it didn't work out. Maybe he needs a slower pace offense with a more of a focus on the running game. Hence why he's the link to Michigan as well, because Michigan dominates a lot up front on the run game. And they have that, you know, uh, that possibility to use their run game. If the quarterback play isn't there. And, I, you know, I think Dante Moore, the talent is there. He's a five-star recruit for a reason. We just need to see him in a better um, system that fits his his style of play. And he only Dante Moore and his team knows what his style of play and what system is going to fit for him. And they had to make the right decision. And, yeah, I mean, he was also, you know, committed to Oregon as well. You know, a lot of these guys, they got some ties to Oregon. I'm just saying. But... Yeah, he was committed to Oregon, then he decommitted and then switched over to uh, UCLA, and now ended up being the wrong decision, and that's all right. You know, these guys are kids in the day where they make these decisions, and he made the wrong one. He wants to go find a better fit, and hopefully he finds that better fit. Um, I think all three of those guys would be perfect in Oregon. I think Oregon is should be, in my opinion, Oregon in, and Michigan have the, the most attracting destination for a quarterback in the transfer portal, considering how they both played this year and how, you know, a quarterback would love to be in those systems. But um, hopefully all three of those guys, you know, they make the right decision and they pick up place. They pick a place where the draft stock can elevate 
And with how college football is changing now, I believe that will happen with the 12-team playoffs. Guys staying in college. I think the whole narrative and belief that these older quarterbacks in the draft are going to go lower in the draft because of their age. I think that's going to start changing a little bit, and rightfully so. And, yeah, I mean, I'm going to start losing my breath. I could keep going on about college football, but I'm going to stop, stop for now. Uh, save my excitement and my thoughts for another podcast for another date. Um I would like to try to do one episode a week. I've been trying to do that for my other podcasts about the Knicks, Bleeding Blue and Orange. And, you know, um, you know, I'm trying to keep up as much as I can, but it kind of just depends on the feedback and whoever's listening. I mean, I know I'm just starting right now and whoever is listening to this right now, I do appreciate it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's more something I want to do for myself, this podcast and grow my skills. So, if anyone who is listening and enjoyed this, um, it, it would be it would mean a lot to get some feedback and some reviews and follow me if you can find me on social media. So I know, you know, my voice is being heard and I can put more energy and more effort into this. And yeah, that's basically all I have for today. So thanks for listening and till next time.